Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, listen up, because I'm about to drop some knowledge that's going to blow your mind about the history of women's fight for the freedom to control our own bodies. And you're going to find out who's really behind the effort to take that freedom away. It's a struggle that's been going on for centuries. And now, more than any time in the past 50 years, it's one we've never been closer to losing. Did you know that contraception and abortion were both legal in what became the U.S. as far back as the 1600s? Abortion was allowed by law until around 16 weeks. It wasn't until the mid-1800s that the medical establishment began a campaign to shift reproductive health care away from midwives, away from women, and toward an institution of almost exclusively male obstetricians and gynecologists. This effort was led in part by the father of modern gynecology, J. Marion Sims, infamous for forcing experimental medical procedures on enslaved black women without anesthesia. Yeah, that happened. Sims would be unanimously elected president of the American Medical Association, the same all-white, all-male American Medical Association that, in 1857, had formed a committee to criminalize reproductive freedom, suggesting that when it came to abortion, a woman, and I quote, should not be allowed to judge for herself because under the stimulus of uterine excitation. Her mind is subject to actual derangement. It's worth noting that right around this time, women were actively lobbying for entrance into Harvard Medical School, in part so they might be able to pursue work in obstetrics and gynecology. But the AMA was just not down with that. It took until 1936 for a woman to finally gain admittance to Harvard Medical School. And in the meantime, that all-male cabal of doctors who believed women were deranged when it came to their uteruses succeeded in their mission to lock down total control of women's reproductive rights. By the late 1800s, abortion was made illegal in the United States of America. What did that mean for women? Well, almost 3,000 of us forced to undergo illegal abortions started dying each year. And around the same time, a man named Anthony Comstock, secretary of the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, teamed up with the Young Men's Christian Association, yes, the YMCA, and managed to pass a series of laws that branded all contraception as obscene, immoral, and therefore illegal. You know, because if a woman had access to a, a diaphragm or a condom, she might actually be able to have sex on her own terms just for pleasure. 
So around 80 years later, in 1960, when the first ever birth control pill was introduced, it wasn't legal in some states for doctors to actually prescribe it. It took a Supreme Court case, Griswold v. Connecticut, in 1965 to make it lawful for married women to use contraception. Only married women. Unmarried women would have to wait seven more years for their own Supreme Court case. Eisen's that versus Baird in 1972 before they were legally allowed to use the pill. But that earlier case, Griswold versus Connecticut, was important, not just because after the birth control pill became legal, college enrollment for women who had been prescribed the pill by the age of 18 rose by 20%. The law was important because it established that a woman was allowed to use birth control based on her constitutional right to privacy. And that same right to privacy was the basis for the big one in 1973, Roe v. Wade. Why was the idea of privacy so essential in these cases? Because women in America have never been protected by an equal rights amendment in the Constitution. Even today, the USA is still one of the only developed countries in the world with no provision in their constitution that specifically addresses gender equality. And because women in America have never been protected by an equal rights amendment, our right to bodily autonomy has never been explicitly guaranteed. So the only legal precedent that protects our constitutional right to make our own choices about our own bodies is the right to privacy upheld in Griswold versus Connecticut and Roe v. Wade. More on that in a bit. But first, back to our history lesson. On January 22nd, 1973, the landmark Supreme Court ruling Roe versus Wade struck down a statute that had criminalized abortion in Texas. So in 1973, for the first time since the late 1800s, American women were once again in control of their reproductive freedom. And life became a lot better. Prior to 1973, abortion was so unsafe that 17% of all deaths due to pregnancy and childbirth were the result of illegal abortion. After Roe v. Wade, abortion mortality rates plummeted to less than 1%, and women's reproductive freedom produced a ripple effect into other areas of our lives. Why, just a year after Roe women finally had the right to get a credit card without their husband's permission. Yes, that is a true story. If you didn't know that, now you know. Before 1974, women could be legally denied a credit card unless their husband gave permission. I mean, it's almost as if reproductive rights are tied to other rights. All of a sudden, women were able to pursue educational and employment opportunities that were often unthinkable prior to Roe v. Wade. But as soon as Roe was passed, the movement against reproductive freedom took one look at all of those women happily controlling their own bodies, going to college, and dynamically entering the workforce. And they said, oh, hell no. 
the anti-choice movement went into full gear and it hasn't let up since. Conservative Catholics, newly radicalized evangelical Christians, and far-right legislators immediately convened on Washington, D.C. in a mission to politicize abortion, strip women of their constitutional right to privacy, and ultimately overturn Roe. By the mid-80s, violent extremists were assaulting women outside of clinics, murdering abortion providers, and bombing their workplaces. But perhaps most effectively, the war on women was waged in the courts. In 1992, Planned Parenthood versus Casey upheld a woman's right to abortion established by Roe v. Wade. But it opened the door for making access to abortion a lot more difficult. All of a sudden, states were able to pass laws limiting public funds and coverage by private insurance for reproductive care, institute waiting periods and require multiple trips to clinics, enforce mandatory counseling before an abortion, or allow healthcare providers to refuse to perform abortions altogether. The people disproportionately harmed by these restrictions have been rural women, poor women, and black, brown, and indigenous women who already experience gaps in access to affordable health care and contraception. Medication abortion was introduced in September 2000, finally offering women a safe, private, and in theory, accessible alternative to undergoing a procedure at a clinic. But many states require that a woman who chooses medical abortion, which to be clear is a pill that she could just pick up at her local pharmacy and take in the privacy of her own home, to take that little pill in front of a doctor in a medical facility. Yes, I know. This history lesson is starting to get bleak, but here's a bit of good news. The passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010 meant an increase in contraception access as birth control became available without a copay. And the rise in contraceptive access coincided with a steep decline in abortions, which dropped from an all-time high of almost 1.5 million per year in 1990 to less than 900,000 by 2011. Let me repeat that. So this crazy thing happened when women had easy access to free contraception. Abortion rates plummeted. In fact, a study was done in Missouri that proved that if we really wanted to reduce or almost eliminate abortions, we'd make contraceptives free. In 2019, when ironically abortions were at a record low, an overwhelming wave of abortion bans began to sweep through red states in a race to provoke challenges that would rise to the Supreme Court and result in a decision that would overturn or totally gut Roe v. Wade once and for all. 25 abortion bans were enacted in 2019 alone, alongside many more restrictions. Hmm. Now, why would the anti-choice movement push all of these bans when abortion rates are at a record low? I mean, it's almost like maybe it's not about abortion. Yeah. And then in 2021, a year that introduced more restrictions on abortion than in any other time since 1973, the Supreme Court refused to block a Texas law that banned abortion at six weeks and created a vigilante justice system known as the bounty hunter provision to enforce it. 
So instead of the state enforcing this law, ordinary people are deputized to sue those involved in performing abortions for a potential $10,000 cash reward. And this is after the Supreme Court of the United States had already agreed to hear arguments on a Mississippi law that would shorten the maximum time limit allowed for legal abortion by around two months, and if passed, could also mean the end of Roe. The scary thing is, today, thanks to a decades-long coordinated campaign by conservative groups and the GOP, an anti-choice majority controls the Supreme Court. And that's why, more than ever, we need an Equal Rights Amendment. 38 states have ratified it. And if women are finally equal under the law in our Constitution, our right to make our own decisions about our own bodies should be part of that equality. But right now, Roe v. Wade is all we've got. It's the only thing standing between us and a world where women are criminalized for bodily autonomy, where pregnancies are forced by law. And remember, just like Roe, Griswold versus Connecticut was also founded on the principle of a woman's right to privacy. So if that principle is gutted along with Roe, legal access to contraception could be next. What about economic access, educational access? When we start legalizing the control of women, where exactly does it stop? History tells us that this was never about abortion. It's about human rights. Centuries of men telling women what we can and can't do with our bodies. So now that you know, it's time to share this video because they are really hoping that you won't. That way they can just keep making laws that take away your freedom while you're not looking. Well, I'm not going back, are you?